We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Meet the Source, a new podcast from CAPI where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day to day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hello and welcome to The Source. I'm your host, Thurman Wise. And Emma Evans. And on today's episode, we will be discussing the ritual of breaking bread with the wonderful Loretta Bulletin from Free to Feed. But before we jump in, I just want to say welcome back, Thurman. You've been in California for the past month. and Five weeks. Five, five weeks. weeks, actually. Five weeks. Yes. How was it? How are you feeling? How's the jet lag? Feeling great, feeling inspired, I have to say. I haven't seen my family for two years, so it was beautiful to just be around them and see my friends and, and just get to like enjoy California for a bit. The jet lag, I feel like I've cured jet lag. It's about you have to do yoga the day of your flight, and then when you land, yoga again. Double yoga. Double yoga. And so how was it? Over there, did you keep up all your rituals, your daily rituals? Because you've got quite a few. Quite, I have, I gave up a few daily rituals. Mm -hmm. I, ga I gained a few daily rituals, right. which was nice. I was able to do yoga almost every day. Mm -hmm. I found this amazing studio or found, I've already known about it, but they're amazing called Rome. Mm -hmm. The husband and wife team that own it are just absolutely beautiful. So I kept that up. And in Berlin, I found a studio called original feelings, which was again, absolutely beautiful. So I was able to keep that up. Nice. I, I lost my walk. Oh, that's your number important. one ritual, isn't it? That's the number, that's one, number ritual. one ritual. And I feel bad because my mom walks her dogs every day and I slept in, <gasps> I over, I overslept my opportunity to walk. So it's my own fault. Right. Right. And then back to it though, in Melbourne. So Back to it. For, so for those listening, Thurman probably walks a good two to two and a half hours a day, which is a, an amazing ritual. And what is it about walking Thurman? What is it about that ritual that you love? It's alone time. Mm -hmm. I think it's just time for me to like clear my head and be with myself. And whether I do call someone or listen to a podcast or play music, it's just something about being on the move. It's really calming. It gives me space to think. I'm not at my computer. I'm not answering emails. I don't have a screen on. It just really allows me to really, in my head, be the most present, the most creative mm -hmm. that I can be. Amazing. Love it. It's not bad, you know? No. What's your most present moment, Emma? I mean, I have like a lot of rituals and a lengthy morning routine for those of you who don't know emma's morning routine can stretch from two to three, three hours. hours sometimes and I, and I know that that's a luxury for like you know the flexibility that our work 
provides and that I currently, you know, I don't have children. So I'm only really worrying about myself and my pluggalier in the morning. So it is nice to be able to take that time, but my role is also very demanding. So if I don't follow those rituals, I don't feel like I can show up as my best self. So I do need to really practice that philosophy of filling up my cup first before I can go and serve others. So for me, it's about walking my dog and I'm lucky enough to live near the bay, which I chatted about in podcast two with Caroline, and then some form of yoga or Pilates followed by meditation and just journaling to really clear my mind and set intentions for the day. I will say I just bought a new little, like a deck of cards where it's actually a calendar for 2022 and you just peel one off every day. And so when I sit down at my desk, that's the first thing I do now is I peel it off and it's been amazing. It's actually really prompted a lot of contemplation before I start the day. And they're some simple questions, but really nice reminders. The other day I got one about patience, which I felt like was needed at that at that point but it's been it's been really nice to set the tone well for 2022 it all starts from the beginning and speaking of the beginning it is that time for us to welcome our guest for the podcast as i said before it's the amazing loretta bolletin the ceo and founder of free to feed an amazing social enterprise that incorporates dining experience food knowledge education and helping train refugees to be able to enter the hospitality industry. So with that, Loretta, welcome to The Source. Thank you so much for having me, guys. We're so excited to talk about today's topic of breaking bread. It's, you know, really, we want to dive into that ritual of getting around a table, sharing food, sharing drink, and, you know, how important that is, especially with what you do, Loretta, around the world to so many different cultures. For our guests to hear, if you wouldn't mind kind of just jumping in and telling us a little bit more about the importance of food and dining to what you do at Free to Feed. Yeah, so so Free to Feed's a social enterprise that works with people seeking asylum and refugees. And we do this through the delivery of shared food experiences. So cooking and the ritual of cooking, but also sitting down to share a meal um, and the smells and histories and everything that goes into cooking memories is is what our work is is grounded in so yeah it's everything what was it about the food experience or or where did where did food come into expressing the story or you know helping people to find work or to train people to do this like where did food come in Mm. to the equation i've been asked a similar question you know over the years and i was trying to figure out you know where the the sort of the influence came from and i think i it's grounded in my own personal upbringing and experience first and foremost so my parents migrated from um, southern italy to melbourne and they used food and the creation of a small food business so a little neighborhood deli as their way, their means of settling in the community, establishing networks and actually just putting bread on the table. So that was their way of uh, finding their feet and they used a part of their culture to restart their lives here in Australia. And so it's always been a part of my history. Um, And then I saw a really similar connection to food and food as an opportunity to support other new migrants and um, refugees. And over the years, I've just been invited 
you know, to share a meal with so many people, like no matter where I've traveled or no matter where my work has been based, everyone or, you know, all of my clients or all of the refugees that I've supported always want to start a conversation with a cup of tea and always insist on feeding me. And I resisted that for a while. And I'm so happy I surrendered because um, I've been so lucky to share so many meals and able to then connect those dots and realize that food can be used as a platform for bringing people together, but also you know, for training and cultural sharing and yeah. Just hearing you speak about that. For people listening to the podcast, just so you know, I get super nervous before everything. So before recording this podcast, I was so stressed about having Loretta on. But listening to you talk right now about if we were sharing food, it would be so much more chill. For some reason, there's this thing about food in front of you or, or a drink in front of you that it's just like, it's, it's almost like disarming. Totally. You know? Yeah, it puts people at ease. Unless you're the cook, then it can feel quite, yeah, quite anxiety-provoking, hey? Yeah, I can't cook. I get too stressed. I'll wash the dishes. And so I guess in preparing for our chat with you today, I was just really curious about a day in the life of you. I imagine with what you've got going on at Free to Feed, because there's workshops and events. It's just not your normal office where you walk in and sit down at a computer. There's a lot of like hustle and bustle going on. And I feel like our listeners would love to know what what does a day in the life of you look like? Mm. I feel like the last, and I'm sure it's similar for you guys, the last um, couple of years has really sort of switched that around. Like I think pre-2020, a day in the life of Loretta was always, you know, a coffee and then, you know, a cycle when I lived just around the corner from work. So I would work, you know, wherever I could find a spot, have lunch with the team, which was really stunning and really beautiful and really spend, you know, the full day there really immersing. I think over the last couple of years, I've recognized that actually I can probably do better and deeper work. Just having a little bit of a little bit of space. I think space has given me the gift of perspective to focus on what's like really important in the work. So it's totally changed up the way that my days look. So I sort of do um, a couple of weeks on in Sydney with my family and then I go. So we're based here now and then I travel for a week and spend that full week immersing with the team. And then I travel back and um, engage with them via Zoom. And so I've sort of been moving between the two spaces. And I love that because when I'm there, I'm so deeply immersed in what's going on in the kitchen and all the smells and chatting with everyone. Um, And then when I'm away, I've got lots of perspective to hopefully be a good leader. But part of the rituals of my life here in Sydney has been that I swim every single day in the ocean. And that is so great for well-being and um, showing up in the right headspace to lead and support a team. And coffee always. <laughs> I'm sure you guys, yeah. Common themes. I mean, it's cool that you mentioned swimming because we just had Caroline Clements on our podcast from Places oh, We Swim yeah. and we spoke about all the rituals associated with water and swimming. That's um, so amazing. And a daily swim does you so well. That's no, it's so interesting to hear about the transition and we've experienced similar things. And I was actually just saying to them before we jumped into this podcast, how today working at home, it's just this calmness. And when I'm at the office, similar to you, you have to be immersive, but that's just not the time to be doing strategy work or trying to sit there and ponder mm-hmm. something. Um, so having the, the separation is so important, I, I think. I agree. And so helpful. Yeah, and, you know, as a leader, you do really have to, like, you got to turn it on <laughs> when you're, you know, in the space. <laughs> and I feel like 
you know, I can be obviously trying to be as authentic as possible with the team, but like every word matters, particularly, you know, around times of change and peak season at Free to Feed where things are really busy and, you know, every word matters in terms of making sure that people feel that I'm there and I'm listening and I'm supporting what the, what they're doing and I don't undermine, you know, like, so just really, really showing up. Yep. So that time to like take a deep breath and, you know, work from home or incorporate a swim. Yeah. is really important. And I was thinking actually also, if I might elaborate on the daily ritual, I was thinking also about meals because we were talking about breaking bread and coming around the table. And I wanted to kind of answer this question by saying, you know, I was really focused and on on having those three meals and sitting around the table. And then I thought, gosh, that's such a lie because <laughs> I've got two little ones and the mornings are just like crazy. I'm literally like following them around trying to shove food in their mouths. And then lunch is always stand up, but it's that end of end of day meal, which I think is is the one where it's just like, okay, what was that like as a day and sitting down with the family or at work with the with the team? Quality over quantity. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I think that was super interesting that you were just speaking about and both you and Emma were saying is the importance of sometimes being away, like from the team. And it's, I think it's one of those interesting things where people don't sometimes realize how busy leaders are. You know, it's like sometimes it's, oh, I just have to ask you a quick question or can I steal you for a second? But people don't realize about how many times you guys probably hear that in a day. You, are you okay? Lots of nodding going on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I'm, I am the number one culprit of knocking on Emma's door and being like, hey, do you have a minute? But I really mean like, oh, do you have, a, do you have two hours to unpack? I actually reply now and say, is it a minute? And is there a spreadsheet involved? If there's a spreadsheet involved, it needs a meeting because I don't have time to switch my brain. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember I tried to be accessible, like, of course, probably too much. Like, you know, I don't know, Emma, how you sort of make it all work, but I, I just feel like I try to see the whole person and, you know, want to engage in, yeah, I really like everyone in my team. I'm sure it's similar for you. Like these are people who have shared yeah. interests, shared values, are curious, interesting, creative people, and I want to know stuff. So, you know, some of it is not only their interruptions, but it's mine. I'm just like, so what did you do on the weekend? <laughs> And how was that restaurant and that thing you were going to eat and that cocktail you were making? And so, you know, I'm definitely create social distraction within the, within the workplace. So I, I feel like I owe that to my team, but also I had this terrible, terrible boss uh, years ago that was completely inaccessible, you know, door closed and like, there was no space for kind of problem solving or like collaboration or engagement. And like everyone was afraid, sort of tiptoeing around the office. And I thought, gosh, that kind of culture is is too much. I don't want to create that. But I've probably gone too much on the other side in terms of accessibility and then going like, oh, okay, it's five, but um, my work is just going to begin now, you know? Yeah, sometimes I feel like I I miss out though. I It's just sometimes so many people and so many things and I can see everyone like gathering in the kitchen doing like our team, they do the quiz if they, if they are in the office and, um, they'll just be fleeting moments where I'll be, you know, grabbing my lunch from the fridge. And if I have the time, I would definitely stop and join. But there's often times where I'm like, I I just want to sit down and laugh and do this quiz right now. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. <laughs> All the time. See, but that's even funny. I've never thought about that. I've never oh thought God. that. And I feel, I feel bad you know? sometimes. Like I, I almost like 
want to share like this is my plan for the day just so you know that I'm not selectively trying to not be included um or talk to you like it's just is what it no, is today I'm sure there is a lot going on in that brain of yours Emma it's you know leadership is is massive it gets into all the crevices there's so much on the mind yeah so with that though do you have any ritual with your team where it's like whether a meeting or a conversation or a lunch, like once a month mm. to be able to check the in. Or... Quite, particularly those on the ground are quite close knit. Like they have to stay in touch and they engage with each other a lot. We also prioritize staff wellbeing. We're so lucky to have, so our program manager is a mental health nurse before she joined us at Free to Feed. So she's been excellent in terms for team culture in terms of just being a supportive person that's available, that's able to sort of check in collectively with the team. And she hosts every couple of weeks meetings where the team can come together and just kind of talk about what's on their mind and how they're experiencing the work. So super, super lucky to have that. And then we happen to just all as a team, which is great, really like the events that we actually put on, like we like them. And we know if it's going to be a good event, if the team want to come. So we're like, okay, cool. We've excited them five years on. So that's great. So we do try to go to whether it's a practice experience. So for all of our like incoming cooking instructors, when they're developing their menus and before they're ready to launch to public with their classes, we host usually like two or three private, intimate team cooking classes just to give feedback and see how it all feels. So there are these kind of milestones throughout the year where we gather at these events and sort of see what's going on and get to connect in the work and all of them involve sharing a meal, definitely. Something that I read that you do at Free to Feed when you were doing the events was not having the recipe out and emailing it to people afterwards. And I found that so interesting, um, me oh, being that A-type personality, you know, <laughs> who wants to like, like follow the rules. I was just like, that actually is just really nice how, um, you know, you reference it's like being in someone's home or it's like cooking with your grandparents or just really getting immersed into the experience. So is there any other factors that you, I guess, really find work really well that just get people comfortable in the Mm. space and really make it immersive like Mm. that that's probably a big one and it's funny because you know often these little quirks or things that make it you know an experience or business unique are born from something and that particular ritual is actually born from the fact that most of our cooks so they're not professional chefs they haven't studied you know a chefing apprenticeship they're home cooks So it really is that kind of grandmother type environment. And that ritual was born because what happens is that they're often really heavily influenced by their mood on the day and the recipes change. So it might be that they're making a chicken curry and it might just be like a really like low spice curry, but they've had a, you know, a fiery day and they're really feeling like, or it's really chilly and they want to pop a bit of extra heat. So they're intuitive cooks and not like by the gram. So they'll just chuck in more green, fresh green chili or something like that. And I think it used to disorientate people within the experience going like, hey, I'm on step four and that's different. (laughs) So we thought, gosh, why don't we actually lean into that and embrace (laughs) that and that kind of comfortable environment and not have us fixated on reading this worksheet and following it like we're in a class because this environment is totally different. So we sort of embraced it and now it's like it's signature um, and it really works. Another ritual is every experience always starts with a presentation where the um, instructor shares a little part of their story. But we found that that was actually quite abrupt when you sort of come together as strangers and all of a sudden you're sort of in the guts of someone's world. 
So we put a little sort of food ritual at the beginning where everyone that comes into an experience shares a cup of tea. So it'll be a tea that's authentic to that instructor's cuisine. So whether it's a, you know, Persian chai or a sour cherry tea or, you know, a cardamom tea. So that that'll take place. Everyone will just sort of arrive with that warm or cool drink in their hand, have a little snack, and then they'll start connecting. And that, like, as we said earlier, like the posture of everyone, once they've got a little drink in their hand, they just sort of lean in and they're like, oh, okay, I'm here now. So yeah, that little, that ritual. And then we finish all of our experiences in the same way by having everyone come together and um, share a meal on a long table, which is a really nice kind of concluding um, experience as well. So it's sort of, you know, bookmarked by these little food rituals. It's really cool to think though, too, like, I guess like you've been doing this for a number of years, so you've learned along the way. And like, it must've just been so interesting, like learning those rituals or, you know, like being able to navigate, like, this isn't quite working the way that I had expected, but then you guys kind of find solutions. It would be really cool to see a video of like the first ever free to feed class. Totally. And then like compare it to yeah. where you are now. I think that's with every everything, you know, every activity that we want to kind of master. And when you're talking about all these different audiences as well, you know, like the people that are coming and what their motivations are to learn something new and then the instructor, their motivation to earn a wage but also to authentically represent their cuisine and then us as an enterprise and, you know, what we want to uphold, our brand making sure the flowers are out and they look beautiful and the, you know, wine glasses are polished, these little things. So it's trying to find that sweet spot where, you know, everyone's needs are met and everyone can have a really great, a great time. So I think that it always requires tweaks. I wish it was easier. <laughs> yeah. On that note, what are some of the challenges that you, you face, whether it's as a leader or as an organization, you know, what are some of the big things that that you kind of face, whether it's like on the day-to-day or just mm-hmm. in general? Something that I'm grappling with at the moment, which, you know, may or may not be interesting to those that <laughs> choose to listen to us. We're trying to, you know, as we sort of grow and sort of scale our work, I think one of the things where we're grappling with at the moment is around like the culture of what we want to create at Free to Feed and then the hospitality culture, which is a fully established scene in Melbourne that in many instances doesn't work with people in the same way that we do. Uh, You know, we've sort of developed a bit more of a community and some of the fast-paced nature of hospitality and the kind of the hiring and firing processes and the turnover of staff, even some of the kind of costs of goods sold and kind of examining that real examining of profitability of course, it's important that it requires decisions and things that don't really align with us at Free to Feed. Like for example, for our participants, we'll often pay them an extra half an hour for work so that they can travel safely or assist them with an Uber home or like little things like that that are about the work that we do, which is about supporting vulnerable people that kind of clashes up against kind of norms in hospitality. Another example is, you know, our chef team um, over the last few years has been women-run leadership. Uh, all of our chefs are, are women and they were trying to prioritise sort of nurturing and spending time teaching as opposed to reprimanding or, you know, some of the colder, fast-paced cultures that happen in kitchens. So that's a real challenge because as we bring new people into the team trying to, you know, work out what we would compromise on and what's like really true about our culture and what the kind of workplace we want to create. Um, so we're often kind of, yeah, boggling with what parts of general hospitality we want to keep and what things we, we're not choosing to take on. That's a bit complex. I hope that's okay. 
<laughs> so interesting. It's crazy though, because I think that's one of the things like my background is hospitality before I started like working in like developing flavors and things. And it's really a trial by fire, you know, and there's, and I think most of the people and probably a lot of the people that are listening, they don't understand how crazy it is in the hospitality. Like margins are so tight. There's no time for sometimes like, a, oh, hey, how are you doing? Like even talking earlier about like, oh, I want to know about your weekend. But in that space of like the real, you know, gritty hospitality day to day, it's really tough and it's really hard to be able to teach that to people unless it's like, I hope you can swim. Yeah, the culture, you know? from what I've learned, the kind of culture of hospitality and some of the staff members that have spent their whole careers there and are transitioning over to free to feed, which is, you know, a different space. It, it definitely is a, a clash of culture. And they're often just like, oh, wait, like, so you care about me? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, of course. Like, we want you to stay. We want you to have a good time. We want the workload to be manageable. You know, a busy December in hospitality is just like, yeah, we're going to hit this much and we just do it everyone works their hours. Whereas I'm like, what, <laughs> you know, like everyone's got families and lives and you know, the, the, the work needs to be sustainable. Otherwise we're just going to lose everyone because they're going to get burnt out. So, you know, it's, it's a real, um, a dance because as you said, the margins are thin. So, so much empathy and support is going to be really expensive as well. So yeah, trying to strike that right balance. Totally. And I think it's like, it's that expectations though, you know, and, and it's, it's really getting people to think a little bit more, you know, whether it's like, you know, sometimes for a restaurant guest that goes to a restaurant on the busiest day in December and they're like, well, what do you mean? I can't do this. And you're like, well, cause it's crazy, you know, but I guess like in the space of, you know, the education, it's like, there's a little bit more peace. There's a little bit more time. Hopefully people are a bit more understanding. I'm curious then like on that, cause I've, I've definitely experienced similar challenges going up against an industry that has norms or expectations and you want to go against that. Um, in your journey as a, a leader, have you kind of, what, what do you do, I guess, to find support? Are you, you know, reading or have a good network? Because I think that the founder of Cappy and I, we sometimes just talk about even just being rebellious, but it's not rebellious in the sense of being angry or anything, but just being willing to say, I'm actually going to go left when you go right, or I'm going to take that jump off that cliff and I trust that I'm going to fall. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, really curious on your journey with how you deal with all of that. It's massive. Yeah, I, I, I totally resonate with that, like in terms of it's strategic thinking, right? But then located within what you want to create. So we're a registered charity. So we run like a social enterprise, but that means that we've got um, a board of directors, which is kind of great because I have these supportive people that are really experienced across a whole range of industries. I ask a lot of questions of the team and I usually can find so much gems in terms of what's feeling right intuitively and what, what path to take. Sometimes I can be a bit indecisive because I'm too busy collecting all of my information from all of my sources. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from the very beginning of Free to Feed, we've always, I've always just tried to be really transparent and honest as a leader. Like even when we were coming up with the idea, you know, so, so many um, sort of founders kind of go at it alone. They've got this idea they think is really good and they, you know, want to be really competitive and protective around that idea. Whereas I was just really transparent. This is the thing we're trying to do. Do you think it will work from day one? And so I've tried to keep that 
throughout. And so I'm always, you know, seeking support. I've got a mentor who's sort of really well established in the hospitality sector who can tell me about some of those norms that might be my blind spots. And then there's really, I've got a really great network of other social entrepreneurs, so other leaders of social enterprise. And it's crazy how similar our experiences are. You know, depending on the, the life stage of the um, of the enterprise, you know, year one to year six look really different. But, you know, the challenges that we have usually within that context and that peer group, someone else would have had a similar challenge. And so I just like, I lap all of that up. I just love being in that space. It's so creative. It is really about people who have chosen not to take the easy path and that are trying to solve complex issues and be rebellious. So I find that space, like I thrive in in that space and connecting with, um, you know, like-minded leaders. How about you? Yeah, similar in the sense, ask a lot of questions of the team and have a wonderful management team at Cappy that we just have such a level of trust. And I'm lucky as well that they're really open to my ways of thinking. Last year through lockdown, we went through a compassionate leadership program with an external provider. And really it was just this like deep getting to know each other bonding experience that built such a huge level of trust that now I think our conversations are just so much deeper and so much more meaningful Mm -hmm. that it really helps drive the business. The family that own Cappy as well, they're just so wonderful in the sense of how much they are willing to dream big. And, you know, if I ever am doubting anything, sometimes the first thing Pitsy's saying is this, is this just your confidence? Because I trust you and I'm, I'm confident in you. So like you said, just surrounded by some great people. And like you, with a mentor, I have like a coach and I just find that so invaluable to sometimes go really micro with an issue or a question that I just can't seem to to break mm. through. And then other times just to get perspective. That's amazing. So easy to get caught up. Mm, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all about the support network, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And that time at home, I, I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to deny that I love my peace and yeah. quiet. Yeah, It is like super interesting though. And I think it's one of those, like part of this podcast is, you know, it's really again to like kind of get behind the scenes of what makes someone, someone tick or, or what gives them that power to succeed. And I think one of the things that I've really noticed is like you guys said, it's that support network. And even as, amazing you are as a leader, you have someone that's a mentor or a coach that sits kind of behind the scenes and can help you. And I think so often we kind of live in this like hero society now where it's like, we just assume this person is amazing as they are. They have the answers to everything. They do everything by themselves. And it's just, it's so refreshing to just continue to have conversations with people that say, oh, like I need a support network. I need other people that are like-minded to be able to help me do what I do. It's yeah, it's so much more refreshing. I feel like as years ago, it was all about me, 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 I, I, I. And it's just so nice to be more about we. Everyone talks about COVID a little bit on everything. But I think that's been one of the cool things about it. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of pain and suffering as a result of COVID. But it seems like the idea of community or supporting each other has really flourished in this time, obviously, because there's been so many challenges. I think so. It's been interesting. We've just sort of recently as a result of COVID we've sort of been more open to collaborating even with you know what would be seen traditionally as like competitors we've sort of been exploring that and sort of recognizing that 
there's in some some instances, not always, it's not doesn't apply kind of across all business. But I know for us, we're you know this small, and you know the market of catering and food and experiences and success for us can sometimes mean collaboration and success for others and lifting other people up as well and other businesses. So you know, in, around Christmas time, we hosted this um, market day with other social enterprises and. You know, we were all competing at the end of the day for those Christmas dollars. Like, where were people going to, you know, spend their gifting money? And we just thought, gosh, together we can be united and we can probably attract a community four or five times bigger than we could just do on our own. So, actually, it's worth abandoning those notions of competition and let's like do this together. And it was so uplifting, not only for the team, but for the community. They were like, um, energized by that fact that there was all these like-minded social enterprises under one roof. And that was really exciting. And we're sort of looking forward to ha- like having more experiences like that. Like in a couple of weeks, you know, as another example, we're doing a bake sale and we thought, well, who's really nailing this spot? Who has the same values as us? And we've been, been able to contact a few other players within the food industry that also have, you know, migrant heritage and really values aligned. And we thought, let's, let's do this together and being able to invite them into the space. And yeah, the energy that comes from collaboration, it's provocative. And yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I think that's a, a result of COVID as well and that kind of championing of, of community. And like you said, I mean, it's like together we're stronger and, you know, it's like to some degree, everyone has their, their fans and their audiences and then other, whether it be competitors or collaborators, they have their fans and audiences and there's enough to go around, right? You know, like, and if anything, maximize, it's like, yeah, agree. You know, (laughs) this week come to us next week, go to them. This episode is proudly sponsored by the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. The Melbourne Food and Wine Festival is back, taking over the city with a huge program of top-tier eating and drinking from March 24th until April 9th. Whether it's a seat and an extraordinarily long lunch on Friday, March 25th, a dinner date with one of the world's hottest chefs, or a spaghetti soiree like you've never seen before, the 2022 program will be one to remember. Tickets are on sale now. Head to MFWF. Dot com dot au for the full program. What are you most proud of? Because it's it's truly like, you know, you have to show up so, so much in, in what you do and, and face so many challenges that we've we've touched on a few of. I feel like I'm really proud of, you know, initially just, just being really brave and giving this thing a go, like creating free to feed to begin with. And, you know, it's not about the idea because most good ideas are simple, right? It's having the bravery and the conviction to kind of, you know, get gritty and, and get hardworking and roll the sleeves up and get it done, you know. And so I'm really, really proud of that. And I think I'm proud of that because of the work that's followed. When I look at, um, you know, our little wages total growing for, you know, people seeking asylum and go, oh, we're about to crack $750,000. And, you know, in, in our little world, like for, for people who would previously have been unemployed and like, you know, casual staff, that's a big deal going directly into the pockets of refugees in the communities. And they then spend that money, those wages on supporting their families and uplifting refugee businesses as well within their own communities. And I think that ripple effect and I just watch the hours of training and that 
you know, that wages figure grow and it really helps to ground our work. We're like, okay, why are we working so hard this month? Because we want to create X amount of hours or, yeah. So I think I'm really focused on like my biggest sense of pride is the success of the people that we support, seeing them thrive, seeing people go on to open their own businesses and just get on their own two feet and be really confident and speak English and have a community so yeah, I ground, I ground the work, you know, and my why and my pride in, in what's going on, on there. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Lots of nodding from Thurman. <laughs> he's in admiration no. <laughs> as am I. I mean, I was then trying to think, I was like, well, what is Emma most proud of? And then I was... And the people, definitely. And then the I people. was thinking like, I bet she's going to say the people. And in my head, <laughs> at Cappy, we do this thing called 15.5. And it's like this question, how would you... It's like a weekly pulse check via like technology. Oh. So you get like an email. It's like a, and it uh, asks you a few questions. Yeah. It is. I was anti 15.5. I freaking love 15.5 now. I'm so into that because a pulse check is like my biggest asset. Like, but I have to do it by speaking. Like, you know, kind of my team is small. I just find it interesting because I feel like they forget that they're typing to me and they think they're just typing like, into the universe (laughs) so sometimes they'll be like they'll mention my name like emma and i'm like you do realize everything this but initially like when we first started it it was like it was just like a gold mine i just kept uncovering more and more and more and just high levels of honesty and i would say now we're sort of in this transition of um i use it more as like curiosity or to really elevate everyone in the team having an amazing week and kind of acknowledging that a win isn't just us having a huge sales win. Mm-hmm. It could just be that someone overcame something and there would have been no way for me to find that out day to day. Um, so discovering it through that. And I, That's my amazing. favorite function is actually high fives where team members give each other high fives and you just get to watch them run in like on a Friday. I'm going to pick your brain after this. Expect an email that says, what is that thing that you're doing? Because I want yeah. in on that. That's amazing. It's Can great. I ask you a question? Yeah, I love it. Like, how do you strike the balance of kind of being a leader and recognizing what you're trying to achieve, but also wanting to support like people and, and have people have a great experience and like, you know, where where that becomes like, something that you can kind of actively control versus, you know, and that, that, that piece of having people like you and liking the work and, oh, I find that stuff yeah. so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, caring so um, much that it can, you know, it's hard. Yeah. I think, you know, the last two years has been so eye-opening for us as a business but also me as a leader and – Pitsy, the owner of Cappy, you know, he was in the office every day, sort of, we were kind of running it side by side Mm. a little bit. It was that typical founder won't step out and let CEO do their thing. And then COVID kind of forced it because we were working at home and then he sort of has resided in Queensland for the majority of the year. So I kind of had to be like, who's the Emma without him? Um, and really uncover like what type of leader I wanted to be. And the big realization for me was that when we want to work on ourselves, it starts from the inside out. You know, we don't go and find that in the external world. So I was like, it's, it must be the same for business. I have to start from the inside out. So I probably sometimes overcompensate how much energy I put into people, Mm -hmm. but I find that when they're thriving and humming, 
everything else is taking care of itself. And so even I just keep reminding myself like over and over when it feels like, oh, I've got like 15 KPI sessions this week, which was my week two weeks ago. But then it was like, that was amazing. When I got to the end, I was like, oh. I don't know if it was your quote or a quote you found somewhere else, but it's like, we we talk about a work family, but it's like, you're with these random people that you don't really know all that much, 40 hours a week thrown together. Yeah. Yeah. So bizarre. And just expected Get to along. like be in harmony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you, it is very strange when you put it that way, isn't it? And it's like, oh, you you should get along. You know, it's like that yeah. would just be like, I guess, tossing your kids into like school and being like, and I mean, you should all be friends. Every single student <laughs> needs to be your friend. No one's a bully. <laughs> no one's picking on anybody. And you touched on it a little bit at the beginning when you said that you know that end meal is really important. Is kind of what you're doing at Free to Feed, something that you really try to instill some of those values and those experiences with your kids. Um, I know for me, like so much of sitting around a table and my experiences with food all stem from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that my son Cohen, he's seven now. He's so cool. He has been a part of the Free to Feed community um, since he was six months old. And like literally like stacking chickpea cans, you know, you know, before we had a kitchen in our, in our lounge room. And, you know, I think he pressed the, he pressed the go button on the very first spice mix we ever made, you know, we ever made. And so <laughs> definitely I'd like, I tried to encourage them to be adventurous around food. And we love, you know, having meals from free to feed in the freezer. And actually I've been strategizing about bringing an esky next time because I've missed that the last couple of months, bring an esky down to Melbourne and stock it up. But definitely like exploring the culture and asking questions around the dinner table and talking about our day. And and Cohen is so aware of different cultures and always wants to know where someone's from or try all the different dals that we make, you know, like one from Sri Lanka and one from Malaysia. And he sort of knows how to tell a good, you know, when a dal is really delicious. Um, so, yeah, definitely trying to bring that into into the family environment and instill that, yeah, that sense of curiosity and connection around food. And Free to Feed is very much though a family affair, correct, Loretta? Like you founded it with your partner and bringing your children into it. Whilst we say community, it is very much a family business, correct? Yeah, 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 definitely. So my partner, Dan, and I founded Free to Feed together and we both still work in Free to Feed, but in very different um, there are different roles, which has been really important. And there was no kind of conflict in terms of allocating those roles. But if we didn't have the clarity in that, it's it gets it's tense, right? Um, even for the team to know where to go for help. So Dan is like, the team know him as like the lighthouse. He's like, just like has this incredible ability to just like stay on mission, which is really amazing. And then I focus a bit more holistically, including like the financials and like keeping us afloat as like, you know, as a business um, and keeping that part of our work alive. So we've managed to kind of find each of our little sections and it, yeah, and I work full time and Dan works part time and plays a bigger role within the family. So there's definitely that, you know, that kind of the roots or the core of Free to Feed was started via, you know, us two and our partnership. So it's it's definitely there in the culture some somewhere. And also, I guess, like for our listeners that don't know, like Emma's partner, Aaron, plays a big role in our business as well. So Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And- He's basically our CFO and the whole finance oh, team. 
<laughs> oh my god so, um so, yeah there's a so lot. it's like tense because today at lunch i was like oh excuse me is the cash flow up to date and he's like i'm eating my lunch <laughs> absolutely yeah you have to be careful because like sometimes i'll yeah. bring work expectations into into home and or you know and then add kids in the mix and it's like I'm actually just earlier I saw Dan was doing some reporting he had to calculate um, wages for people seeking asylum over a certain period of time and he brought my son Cohen in who um, has been on school holidays he's like all right mate let's um, let's get <laughs> prep for school tomorrow and Cohen was doing all the calculations you know like seven hours times forty dollars <laughs> yeah it really it, that but they're the lovely moments where there's you know family connection but gosh it's a journey it's a journey worth it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> let's let's say it's definitely a journey, one. but I think I think I I think I like yeah. it. Above all, like the pro as I always say about so many things, the pros outweigh the cons. Awesome. Sometimes they get very close, but ultimately the pros outweigh the did cons. Did you guys meet at work or we did, but when we were both at PwC. So mm -hmm. my background is in accounting. It's been a journey. That's amazing. I think speaking of connection and you know, learning from other people. One of the big questions for each of our podcasts as we kind of get toward the end is what are some people out there right now or some brands that are really inspiring you or you mm -hmm. just think are like, whoever's listening to this needs to, needs to see these people. I was racking my brain for that. <laughs> I'm really thinking about it because I feel like there's sources of inspiration everywhere um, and I didn't want to just pull out people from my own team. I think because of the work that we do, it's, it's quite con contagious. Like, you know, people want to be a part of that and be a part of the community. So we're always meeting the most sort of genuine, um, empathetic, creative, values-aligned individuals. So there are too many to mention in there. Um, in general, I think like massive, you know, my heart and it goes out to all of the small businesses that have just, you know, managed to kind of be creative and and keep afloat over the last two years. Too many to mention, but you know, the grit that goes into that and staying afloat has been really massive. And the ones that in particular took care of their teams. Someone that I'm very inspired by, which is probably someone that's probably less familiar to a sort of Melbourne or Sydney audience is Bron Kemp of Metal. So Metal is a social enterprise based in WA and it works with survivors of domestic violence. And they make these really beautiful uh, gift boxes which is just like the most incredible gift for like corporates or like friends or new mothers. And it creates like all of the boxes are put together and all of the beautiful scents and bath things and all of those products are put together by women who have just, you know, escaped these awful situations. And she does it with such grace and the brand is really beautiful and the product's great and I use it as my go-to gift. So I just feel like she's really amazing. In terms of brands, I'm going to be a little bit niche because I feel like I really only properly engage with brands when they have either a strong ethical or cultural foundation. Like I, I, I look, I seek that out. I guess I'm one of those cliche, you know, one of those cliche consumers that people are thinking about where they're like, there needs to be sustainability in this. I'm, I'm that person. I'm going to look. So for those that are based in Sydney, I love the Bread and Butter Project. So it's the brainchild of Burke Street Bakery. So amazing artisan bakery that started out as a small business and that scaled across Sydney. They started out a social enterprise. So also engaging refugees. Um, and making beautiful sourdough and pastries. So mwah, love them and love their work. And then in Melbourne, I'm, I really love Tom Serafian, uh, who's, you know, on everyone's minds at the moment, the kind of the master of hummus, but he does it with such uh, authenticity and he's very honest and honest in the way that he prepares food and honest in the way that he runs his business. And 
he's given so much already to free to feed and um, been a great mentor through um, an event we did recently together. So I love his business and I love what he's standing for. And yeah, I think as a human, he's got a really strong brand behind him as well. And another kind of question is, as we, you know, we're starting in the beginning of 2022, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Swimming every day, come back to rituals. <laughs> and in the free to feed world, I think if um, the sort of end of last year and the real massive peak um, season, we lifted and we operated at a very fast paced level. I think if it taught us anything, it's just to make sure that we create a lot of space for the things that um, nourish us as a team, because that will nourish the community as well. So I'm looking forward to a whole program of really awesome creative events centered around the cultures and the people that we support, starting from, you know, a Colombian brunch to a deeper opportunity to engage with inspiring women at International Women's Day. So we're looking across the year and trying to find as many opportunities as we can to go out there and create something brand new that sparks a conversation and gets people to, you know, just think a little bit more outside of their day to day and that uplift people seeking asylum. So yeah, that creative program is, yeah, we're most excited about that. And I'm excited to create, but also be in attendance of all of the, at all of those things. Well, on that note, Loretta, I think our time is up for today. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, it's been such a, such a beautiful chat. I can't wait to jump into the list of inspirational brands and people. And yeah, thank you to our listeners for joining. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for creating space and allowing me to be part of, part of your community. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you so much to all of our listeners of The Source podcast. Special thanks to our great guest, Loretta Bulletin. And a very special thank you to our sponsors, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, evening or morning. As always, if you enjoy what we're doing, please like our episodes or give us a subscribe. Ciao.